Nina. We're here today with Danielle recording her story of recovery today. And, we're... and Eric's back too. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Eric's back Eric's today. Too. You're part of the group. Yeah, yeah. See, because I used to come to everyone. And then uh, and then I got really busy, so I wasn't coming to some for a while. And I left, and our listens went way up. Oh, so you're like a, so... you're like a celebrity guest. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a celebrity that, I like how that sounds. Yeah. 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 And Coburn and I did these for a long time, and just the two of us. And then last week it was just me. Okay. Yeah, and that was the first time. So we're we're really excited to have two people back. Yeah. Diversify our conversation a little bit. This will be great. Um, to start off, Danielle, we're just gonna kind of ask you, like, where are you from? So I had the luxury of growing up here on the peninsula in Soldatna, otherwise known as Slodatna. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. That's where I hail from. Right, right. And now I get to live here in Homer mm-hmm. with my family. I've always been attracted to Homer, and I would come down here. You know, Homer's where, like, Alaskans go to get away. Right. Because it is it is a different part. It offers a different feel of mm-hmm. Alaska. Mm-hmm. And um, so I had actually moved out and swore I'd never be back Um especially to Soldatna. So I moved out of Alaska. And then when Jeff was applying for jobs, he found little Homer. Mm -hmm. Lo and behold, they needed a a history professor. And so I was like, Alaska. Serious? Yeah, I I do not want to go back there. But if you do get the job, Homer's, of all the places to end up, Homer is probably one of the only places I would move back to. And look at us now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Four yeah. years it. Yeah. And we are happy. I'm, I'm happy to be at home. Yeah. Yeah. Being from Soldatna and being just a small town. Well, yeah, that, a small town too. And just kind of the similarities and differences between then and now. Do you yeah. ever, do you go back pretty often? So my, um, a lot of my immediate family is still up there. Um, my dad and siblings live up there. My mom just passed away this summer, so I'm still getting used to saying my just my dad lives mm-hmm. up there. Um, but a lot of family members, so we go back and forth often. Soldatna has changed as far as what you see on the outside, but I feel like Soldatna is still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like the spirit of Soldatna hasn't changed much to me. that I've experienced Mm -hmm. so you uh you grew up so I grew up yeah I guess I'll start I grew up in um grew up in Soldatna with a big family there were six kids oh wow including you yeah including me yeah yeah. where were you at I was the middle child okay yeah so um you know if you read about descriptions of each position of family members you know like as far as what personality traits <laughs> i'm a quintessential middle child okay so what are um, kind of some of those well those characteristics that maybe hard you finding your place sure um yeah feeling unwanted or fighting for times. attention yeah. yeah um and maybe being a yeah more of uh i don't want to say i struggle with black sheep but that could also be but maybe a little bit you did yeah and i i definitely felt different from um my other 
siblings, but mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that had a lot to do with what was inside me too. Mm-hmm. Anyways, so I, um, yeah, I grew up and uh, went to high school and then uh, left and went to a conservative college. Um, like a conservative like a Christian, Christian college. college. Yeah. yeah. Where like you couldn't wear leggings. <laughs> probably. You're probably not. I actually the other I, day leggings weren't a thing. Big deal right. Back no, then. right. Yeah. yeah. Now they are, but I'm sure they would have had some rule about covering your bum or something like no, that. No, yeah. Mm-hmm. I heard a I was at this uh, CrossFit gym the other day and this uh woman said I I won't say her name, but I overheard her say like I t- I was talking to this one this one woman there and I said and she was talking about clothes or something and I said well you're you're pretty lucky that you can you know for the most most of your life at this point right now with yeah. what you do you can wear leggings yeah and it's like this sounds kind of like meatheady but like as a crossfitter it can be hard to find jeans that really kind of fit oh, okay because yeah. yeah. like because like a, a lot of your body is not very big, but like your quads or hamstrings, you do so much like just like explosive yeah. type of stuff. That sounds so meat and heady, whatever. But, like, <laughs> no, but it can be hard. Like, and I said, yeah. and I said, man, you know, like you're kind of lucky in that. Like when I was talking to my mom, because she's like, Eric, I want to get you something for Christmas. Like, what's something you know? And I said, well, you can get me like any Some kind of large leggings. t-shirts that. <laughs> you said, oh, well, what kind of oh, he has what a pair. size pants are you gonna wear? And I said, don't even bother. You know, yeah, like, don't I think bother. I met it you just, when you were wearing leggings. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably. And uh, and uh, she uh, and so this one woman I overheard her say this other woman overheard her say, oh yeah, I love leggings for the gym. Like when I'm at college, like I don't, I I can't wear they they don't let us wear leggings. And I didn't like press into that because I yeah. just frankly I just could probably just make a decent assumption. Yeah. So I think she's probably going to a conservative Christian college. I would assume so. She can't wear leggings. Really? You know? Yeah. I was just like, dang. Like, what? With I was just like, wow, man. Like, glad I'm not trying to go to that school. I'd be expelled it's, in a week. Yeah. You know? <laughs> me too. Which is part of the problem. I think that was, you know, that's a good segue because I definitely struggled with uh, feeling like I didn't have a place. Um, in in the church because um, I just felt like those kind of that legalism mm-hmm. um, now I'm not saying that in some circumstances maybe not wear leggings but um, it was it was hard to feel like I could measure up mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. based off of the high I high standards mm-hmm. or, or just I think the pigeonholing that mm-hmm. that the church can tend to swing towards um, and that was really hard for me growing up because I felt misunderstood because I was attracted to a lot of like gray areas mm-hmm. that would be gray areas in, in the evangelical in church especially a legalistic yeah perspective and I know what you're talking about yeah so I spent a a couple years um kind of solely focused on like I'm going to do ministry like that was my idea was was like like, I'm going to be in the highest calling right I was like I'm going to be a you know what I'm going to do you know looking back I'm just like gosh I'm so 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 blessed to like not be on that road right now that sounds so backwards right yeah 
Christian target. Right. Like, <laughs> like to not be on the road to Damascus right now yes. is like such a blessing yeah. in, 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 in retrospect. But it was like, I'm going to, you know, do like some form of like full time, like missionary ministry type of work. Like that will be my, yeah, like that endeavor. will be my, my goal. Right. Yeah. And it was, and it is like the, so the, the legalistic, uh, pursuit, I think is like, can, it's stifling. Uh, yeah. Especially as a, you know, and it sounds, it supports all these views like that other people said, oh, you go to college and you're going to not be a Christian anymore. You know, yeah. I don't know if you ever heard that. Like, yeah. If you go to like some public well, school, like, and they're going to teach you evolution, you know, and you're not yeah. going to get Christian anymore. Like, <laughs> yeah. But like in the psychology, some of the things that I've, and I think psychology is hard because it's it's a science, but it's also full of some type. You see some data, and then some people try to make a hypothesis around it, and you yeah. can kind of make another one. You know, it just yeah. gets hard, right? Right. And so, but one of the things like there's a field like evolutionary psychology. If there's anything I've really come around on is that like we probably have some pretty fundamental drives in us, and yeah. like, and like there are some like legalistic like. Uh, do's and don'ts that oppose the drives pretty hard yeah and it's just like and if you go too far in a legalistic way like where you're almost shamed for even having tension yeah you just set up for like failure perpetual guilt you know yeah perpetual and that, guilt. that that is what i think kept me an addict for so long was the shame and the guilt mm-hmm. of feeling like it was some moral failing inside of me mm-hmm. that was not able to stay sober mm-hmm. and that um, I wasn't praying enough or I wasn't repentant enough or I wasn't um, trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. Like I should just, you know, be able to stop after mm-hmm. one glass of wine, you know, and me thinking like, well, that's impossible. Mm-hmm. Um but not realizing that it was impossible because it was a biological uh, response that I had to alcohol, but coming from the understanding that my parents had, um, again, I think back in that generation that I grew up in, mental health was not something that was um, addressed in the Mm -hmm. church. Um, and that mental health is an actual area of illness mm-hmm. um, that is serious. I think that um, there, it's hard for, it was really hard for my parents to understand um, to me uh, because they didn't see my struggles through the eyes or through the lens of a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think addiction is, it begins from a place of mental illness. Um, and I don't want to like broad sweep that for everybody, but I know that for me, I was prone to addiction based off of um, a like um, strong influence of you know, the scenario, I I think nature versus nurture, you know, like, was I born an addict Mm -hmm. or did I become one? Mm -hmm. And I think it's definitely a combination of both. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't be one or the other. Yeah. Um, 
but you know i brought up my position in my birth order mm-hmm. um kind of left me struggling to figure out you know who i was and then being who i was like slightly more um colorful than mm-hmm. my uh other siblings and i had tendencies to more like verbose behaviors that my parents were i think maybe afraid of or they didn't know how to like handle that um but i think outside of like some pretty intense like almost pentecostal evangelical like for the most part like the type of legalism i think that you're talking about like it rests on like perpetual stifling yeah you know and i think that's what it does you talk about like biology and like addiction yeah i've thought about this too like as i've like gone through my psych program and having like been exposed to like originally at one point thinking i was going to try to live my great human condition around the Bible, right? Yeah. Like, and I've sort of thought about like, where do these meet? Do they meet? Where do yeah. they conflict? Do they, right? Yeah. So like, and one of the things that's like, in some groups, and I won't like, like you said, I'm, I'm not going to broad sweep like all denominations into a single type of theological point or anything, but in some types of doctrine, you're going to find like just the basic idea of not to lust. Yeah. And I'm going to argue that like, from what I've learned, like our basic evolutionary psychology, like we're like biologically hardwired to lust. It's you part know, of to the, some extent. It's part it's of what the makes human you pursue a partner. And yes. propagate your genes and like yeah. survive the species yeah. and like be a human being. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> you're like to some extent, you're like hardwired to lust to, to lust. some degree. Yeah. And like you so you are like biologically opposing and like yeah. it creates this tension, which then like with that like if you grow up in a certain environment that like feeds a type of thinking and if you deviate you should feel bad yeah like your human condition and then this environmental condition like you're set up to just feel a lot of guilt and a lot of shame a lot of the time you know and that's i think that's definitely um as i was ex you know growing into my addiction i should say because it it definitely didn't start the way it ended Mm -hmm. but um feeling like um you know my childhood was very performance based right and feeling like i keep not being able to perform in this area and so since i couldn't perform Mm -hmm. then i wanted to just scrap the whole thing Mm -hmm. and say I can't do your standard and since there's no since there's no place for me since I can't perform then I'm just gonna go do everything that's off limits you know yeah but there's so many things that I feel like are connected to my struggle and a lot of that is the way I I feel I grew up and how the church made me feel as a person who just struggled. Yeah, I felt like uh, there was not a place for me um, in the church with my particular struggle, which I did not know. I didn't know that I was an addict, right? Growing up, I didn't, I didn't um, 
it was just communicated to me, you know, that you obviously have a problem with alcohol and, um, and, but growing up, you know, alcohol was always off limits. So I was never really introduced to healthy drinking habits or, mm-hmm. um, what it looks like as a non-alcoholic to, you know, it's so I didn't start drinking until I was 20, I think was my first like drunken experience. Um, you were uh, off at college. Yeah, I was off at college. Yeah. Um, but I, um, what was I say? I, <sighs> we didn't know. I think, I think didn't... here is kind of where we're going to really find, like, find yeah. either you being told, like, dude, yes. a problem, or you kind of coming around, man, maybe. Yeah, I think so. So what happened? About to come some some like lights, you know. Yeah. Well, the lights didn't happen to light, but I. So I was always. I always felt like I was just couldn't stop sitting in this area, right? That I just wasn't. So can I interrupt real quick? Um, Yeah. Because I think our listeners are going to have these questions that I have. Yeah. And I'm sitting here. I'm kind of thinking. A woman growing up in a pretty legalistic church setting, and without you don't need to share all the details. But what does this like sinning with alcohol look like? You know, yeah, at this point, okay. I don't know. Yeah, what yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like. yeah, okay, okay. So, so I, um, I kept. So when I decided to start drinking as an adult, you know, a lot of at college, drink, at, yeah, at okay. college. Well, you know, my first experience was not graceful by any means yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and so and I felt really guilty about it because I was going to a conservative Christian college and you sign a waiver that you won't touch cigarettes or drink alcohol or gamble or do any risky behavior yeah. while you're a student with them mm-hmm. so um being who I was, I did all of those things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, and I shouldn't say this is what I'm coming to. I, you know, because this is how most young people start, you know, dabbling in those kind mm-hmm. of things. You're finally away from your <clears throat> parents, whatever. Anyways, so I felt really guilty um and so i think it only reinforced like oh yeah alcohol and cigarettes are so taboo Mm -hmm. you know um as as a christian as a believer and so um i just thought that uh because i wasn't exposed to it that my my parents saw my drinking habits as not cohesive to a Christian lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And so that, I just thought that they just didn't, you know, just because they didn't drink, they they had issue with me drinking. So you were kind of like that young, I just the, thought kind that, of the typical young adult. It's yeah. like the parents don't really understand. And they don't mm-hmm. understand. They don't understand. Right. And they're just mad that I have, you know, started going to the bars. You may have kind and, of, I would, I'm going to venture to say that you may have thought that to some extent with your classic young adult, but I'm going to also say that you probably, 
internally maybe said that to yourself a little bit oh absolutely too, right? that, I, I mean that I was totally pretty internal that. yeah as well but because some people i think that they legit internal dialogue and external are like those guys don't understand i'm fine right and mm-hmm. i think you maybe had a that may be a little different you had a mixture of the two yeah i i i was mad back. because yeah. i was instantly made to feel guilty and wrong and wrong yeah. um and it made me very naive as well when i you know i didn't know what was normal mm-hmm. as far as you know i just i was totally immature mm-hmm. and i fell for a lot of things that a lot of other kids <laughs> learned at 17. yeah exactly and here i was like you know in my 20s behaving like a 16 year old you know mm-hmm. because i just had no bearings when it came to how to protect myself um so yeah i um i think that kept me drinking for a long time too just feeling like you know it's only because you don't drink um i didn't recognize my unhealthy habits mm-hmm. um and is it, is it I, your situation it's not unlike other people's situation i think it's so tricky too because the way that you're coming to think about your drinking is like if you drink at all it's an unhealthy yeah. habit right which is not where most people are Start. going to be you know? yeah like most have like they find the line between healthy and unhealthy in a, in a different sense you know yeah. like maybe it's like man if i black out like more than 20 percent of the time like yeah dude, I, this is unhealthy right but you you have like as far as like what is like what does maybe like an alcohol problem look like yeah you had a really hard you didn't have any real way to know in any like i would say kind of some real sense at first yeah because I yours is kind of like any bad well and i use yeah the, that's weird i use i mean the, it's hard yeah it I, feels like it, i mean not it seems like it would be harder to really like how do you know you have a problem? Because yeah. like if you, you, if you can't already, look socially, right. yeah, and be like, yeah, I'm not like other people. Yeah, you know, like I, so and so and I, we drink a lot together. Yeah. But every time I drink, I black out, and so and so only does it once out of the five times we drink together. Yeah. So like maybe I'm a little weird. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like yeah. you're kind of like yours, I drink it all. I'm pretty weird. People yeah. are gonna, you're gonna get the idea that you have a problem when when maybe you don't you know right yeah. right right right. So. right right so that and would that that make it easier for really you to rationalize hard. like it was you're easier drinking? for me to rationalize well yeah because and these people are gonna think i have a problem no matter what these people yeah and you know and they would it became kind of like a joke you know baby bird danielle because she just you know she's just very immature (laughs) when it comes to these kind of things you know and we need to protect her Mm -hmm. um and so my first kind of run in with the law so i got a dui and uh when i was like 22 23 um i was back in alaska Alaska. yeah i had come back i had hit a law with my or a wall i should say with my prison 
education and I realized that um that's not the route I wanted to go and so I came back to Solana to kind of figure out what I was going to do next and it it was in that time that I um started drinking regularly and um you know started going to bars and just partying like you know a young person in their 20s and for me it was really exciting because something that had been off limits to me for so long was finally I was of legal age and so you know I was embracing it Um, and then I got a DUI and of course that um, sounded some alarms especially with my parents Um, and I I don't think at that time that you know by any means I was an alcoholic Um, and I think that a lot of the reason why I got a DUI is I, again, I just had no, um, you know, it wasn't taught to me how to be smart about drink, like how smart about drinking, if, you know, if you're going to drink. Um, so again, I was just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, um, and didn't, you know, there was no boundaries for me mm-hmm. set up yet in that arena because I just, you were I was just a free for all. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I wasn't yeah. supposed to be there anyway. So yeah. I was just kind of figuring it out. So I got a DUI. Well, of course, then my parents were like, well, you were an alcoholic, you know, and yeah. you need help. And for me, I was like, I don't think I'm an alcoholic. And I definitely, you know, uh, anyways, so um, you kind of rationalized. I was right? you rationalizing it. Yeah, yeah, and I think yeah. that at that it was true. I wasn't an alcoholic. Uh, I had made some pretty bad decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, you know, I was looking for a way of an escape from um, from my my parents because it was kind of in in coming back from that DUI. Uh, it. And I and I hate bringing this up because things are things are different now. But um, the only way to kind of recover from that was for me to like move home and be with my parents. So they kind of like rescued me from that. Um, and again, that rescuing didn't teach me anything about um, how to come back from something like that as an adult. Uh, it kind of put me back under well, my parents just need to make those kind of decisions for me. Hmm. Um, and, and I, and I let that happen, but of course that's not sustainable. Mm -hmm. So right, right when I was able to get my license back, I beelined it to Anchorage Mm -hmm. and I was like, I'm gonna, you know, now I'm fine. I got my license back. I did my time and I got into the restaurant industry and that if, you know, people, uh, you yeah. know, like, yeah. it's a party yeah. scene. I mean, it's like the culture, man. Yeah, it's yeah. the culture. It's yeah. your late nights. So then you go out drinking after that. And it, for me, I was like finding friends. Oh, yeah. And it was really exciting to me because there was a place of acceptance. That's some stability. I had some, you know, you had some a job, you yeah, had I had a job and I had friends and we would, you know, but once you're, you know, I got exposed to other kinds of ways to party right. and um, and of course those things, you know, 
all kept those a secret. Mm -hmm. from, mm -hmm. yeah. But they only perpetuate the mm -hmm. poor decisions. Mm -hmm. um, and it was so then I got my second DUI um, okay. when I was, I don't know, how old was I? 24, maybe? Yeah, it couldn't have yeah. been much longer. It couldn't have been much longer, like two years after. Mm -hmm. So then I got another DUI. And at this point, I was, you know, I was probably sitting pretty in alcoholic territory. I, you know, I had sneaky behaviors. I um, downplayed my drink, you know, drinking. I, um, I drank in secret. I, uh, um, you know, I was, I was, but internally i wouldn't say i was an alcoholic you know i still mm -hmm. didn't think i was i still thought that i just you know maybe drank a little too much or something mm -hmm. yeah. um and it was after my second dui that i was like you know really embarrassed and broken and my life started to unravel and it's i think the main one of the things is like for you i think where you start to get into similar ground with others because up to this point, like we've talked about, like one world and the, like the world of like the parents and, yeah. and the religion and another world, just they, they don't reconcile. Right? They don't but reconcile. One place, but one area where like your worlds are about to reconcile is that like two DUIs, that not only looks bad to your parents, yeah. but it, it also kind of looks bad to society. It looks you know bad what I mean? I think two DUIs yeah. is when society is kind of like, yeah, you this probably has got a little bit yeah. of a problem, maybe. The you know? first yeah. time's an accident. The first the time, second like, time's the a second time. Yeah. Like, oh, man. You know, yeah. so I think your worlds are starting to collide. They're starting you know, to they're collide. Reconciled. And, you know, it's starting to get expensive. You know, I've, now I've it's had some expensive. friends that were, that were getting them, and that, you know, one or two, I mean, by their second one. And it was just like, I mean, it was a really, uh, it's, it's, it, was a, it was more than a speed bump. I mean, yeah. it was expensive. It was some like classes, and it was like, like, dude. This is actually causing some problems in my life. It's definitely causing but some just, problems, and it's really setting me back. Mm -hmm. um, oh yeah. They don't make it easy to come back from something like mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, my heart goes out to people who find themselves incarcerated and then um, finding a job after that. Like now, you don't have a license. Um, you probably lost your job because you had to go to jail mm -hmm. um, and do some time for that, which for mm -hmm. me, my second one put me in jail for like, I think it was a month. Um, you you sat so, for that long, huh? Yeah, I think I, I did 14 days some... in jail at, and then I got transferred to a halfway house. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, wow. Which was anyways right um so you but know wow. i didn't have a job for a month so then that's uh, hard then you have to find a job after that yeah. you're so depressed because you just had you know your world's kind of swept from underneath you mm -hmm. and um getting getting back from that took a lot of work and i think yeah. that either you can that can push you down and for me, yeah, it really kept me plateaued. I felt my dignity was gone. Mm -hmm. my, um, I, was, I was thinking I was just washed up, you know, and here I was only 
24, 25, and I'm feeling like a complete failure in life, you know, and I haven't even lived that long. Yeah. So a lot of people that were just getting out of jail, I mean, they they may stay they may stay cleaned up for like a month or two. Yeah. But like, what 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 that look like for you? Maybe well, for me, I mean, no. The second I got out of the second I had my babysitters were gone. You know, I was right back. Okay. To, yeah. 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 I picked up drinking right mm-hmm. right where I left off. Okay. It took a year of struggle cutting out of jail. Um and you know, trying to build a life for me before I was ready to accept uh, some help again. And a recovery program was, you know, uh, my dad had, my parents had done some research on um, addiction programs. And one of them was Adult and Teen Challenge. And this was a, um, it's a Christian program. Is that the one in Wasilla? There is one in Wasilla. Yeah, now. okay. We yeah. Had a couple people come on. Okay, for yeah, we'll okay. It, yeah. So this is where I'm so I I agreed to go to this to this program and I actually went to the one in in, in Washington. Mm-hmm. And um it's a year long oh wow program resident, you know. That's a while. Yeah. And um so you I mean so I picked up people my people don't life. really commit to a year unless they're pretty broken. Yeah, I mean, and so I, were, I, mean, I was broken, like, oh, I was, God. but I feel like I was really, I still didn't really grasp my alcoholism. Sure. Um, I was still really struggling with it. Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go do this year-long program. Just make my parents happy. Make my parents happy. Yeah, like, um, and I was looking for an escape out of where I had found myself in Anchorage. I just... You know, yeah, I was gonna say yeah. they don't really know that you're an addict yet, but you know yeah. But I was burning yeah. some bridges. Yeah. Yeah. I was losing relationships. It was mm-hmm. definitely causing problems. Mm-hmm. I was unraveling, you know. So I accepted this help. You know, I was like, okay, fine, I'm gonna go. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you probably I, think too that you're gonna go, and you're gonna come back, and everything's gonna be so great. And it's yeah, gonna be so and easy. it's gonna be yeah. wonderful. Mm-hmm. And um, and so Teen Challenge did provide me. One, it got me out of the circumstance that I was in. No um, drinking. Yeah, no drinking. And I did really need, I needed an abrupt change. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so when everything is off limits to you, like you can be, I think the one thing that's, there's plus and minuses to, pro, to like residential programs, you know, where you're mm-hmm. just, is you're not exposed to it. So um, unless you really make an effort oh, to, to, be to go devious. use, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean you're kind of yeah. in a little room of protection. Yeah. So anybody can be I, uh, like sober in a program, and that was the thing. Like I was in a different state. I was I was in a. It was just all women. We weren't even allowed to talk to to men. Um, so man, they covered all that, the bases, you know, <laughs> no temptation, um, which I think kind of made it worse. But um, and so what I encountered after I did this program was I did not know how to do life in the real world as a sober person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I did really well in the program. I mean, I excelled mm-hmm. and had some structure you know, and all I of your loved yeah. Jesus. And yeah. I was just, you know, a new person 
And, but I still believed, and then this is going to bring up the, the Christian jargon again, that God can redeem alcohol in my life and I can take it back and it won't always be like, I didn't subscribe to the once an addict, always an addict. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, no. Like, I just haven't learned how to manage it. I just yeah. haven't yeah. learned how yeah. to manage it because yeah. of the way I grew up. You yeah. know, sure. like, let's sure. just blame it on my lack of exposure or mm-hmm. whatever. So, I was still planning again on drinking. Mm-hmm. After I got out, and I and I did that day came, and I think I made it like three or four months post program without drinking, and then once I started drinking again, kind know, of the first real opportunity that you knew you could kind of get away with to yeah. some extent. Yeah, well, where I felt like validated mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. my decision to pick up alcohol again, All right? You know, and, and I, I'm gonna imagine that you didn't like black out that first no, time. No, not the you're, first you're, time. You're no, and it was really exciting. Yeah, like, this is the, the new... Uh, this is Cabernet Sauvignon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's chill. And I did. It's I was chill. in it's not cheap whiskey. Yeah, yeah I, was, I had relocated. <laughs> after the program, I had relocated to um, Newburgh, which is in Willamette Valley, which mm. is no, in Oregon, right? Yeah, yeah. Peter Noirs. And yeah, so yeah. there was like vineyard after Just vineyard. part of the, yeah, the life. Yeah, yeah, and so it was very like, it was really fun, you know, to mm-hmm. have that be area where I start drinking again because mm-hmm. it's so fancy, right. you know? Right. Um, but you're only an al- you're only an alcoholic if you drink a whole bottle of liquor and not wine. Yeah. <laughs> well, my always thing was uh, wine is fine, but liquor is quicker. But anyways, so you know, I um, man, there's there's a lot to this, but I the feelings of failure came again when I when I started drinking and I realized that oh I'm not any different than when I came into the program Mm -hmm. you know like and now especially coming from such a a structured environment um, where everything was off limits now that they are not off limits you know now that I'm in charge of making my own decisions I just went back to all the things that I went into the program for, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was spiraling down the pit of, well, this is just going to be my lot in life, you know. Yeah. Since I can't do everything right or I can't do this, then I'm just not going to try at all. Mm-hmm. Well, then I met my husband, mm-hmm. um, my now husband. When you were um, in Oregon? When I was in Oregon. When you were yeah. at 25 still? I was 26. Well, uh, yeah, right I was 26. On. I think I had tw- turned 27. Um, I was 26. I turned 26 in the program, so I got out sure. and I had ter- just turned 27. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was getting along in years, you know, mm-hmm. um, and, but I was still very... A little naive. And yeah. still very yeah. naive and yeah. still not able to like think for myself in this area, mm-hmm. you know. Um, well, in a lot of areas. But yeah. uh I met my husband and um he because of where I came from, I was really embarrassed to share my story with him. 
um, especially since it's such an extreme one as you know like I was coming out of some hi stuff grew up in a cult nice to meet you yeah exactly <laughs> I mean, like and I, mean, I just it's got little, out of it's this. a little hard it's a little hard and I and might I, be a drunk and I might sure. be a drunk well I've been drinking <laughs> but like for a year yeah yeah and so I was no, right. really I mean, that's timid it's just hard. sharing yeah. that with yeah. him um and especially like the team challenge the structure is so it can not make sense to people who have not been exposed to that before so he didn't really even know that i was an alcoholic um and he actually used to think it was cool that i could go out and drink whiskey with him you know um and i was cool once but uh, anyways so uh, i got pregnant and that so somehow you're you're still kind of living a life you're functioning i'm a little functioning bit. I mean, um and i had from the time where i started drinking and got pregnant was like you're starting spin, to spiral and it was bit. like four months before oh. i got pregnant yeah and so um that kind of put the brakes on mm -hmm. my curbed my drinking mm -hmm. naturally mm -hmm. um and thank goodness that I was able to stop yeah. drinking. Um, it took, it was hard for me mm -hmm. to stop. Yeah. But I also felt like, well, I can't let him know how, you know, there was just a lot I of mean, things. Man, that, it's uh, really, yeah, it was yeah. really, yeah, yeah, I was not just making decisions for myself. Because you're drinking a lot while pregnant, then it's kind of like, okay. Yeah, you really need I do to, have, I mean, you you're going to have to really accept yeah. that point. Yeah. So I was able to keep it a secret, mm -hmm. um, you know, until after I had um, my first baby. And then after I had him, I kept drinking again, you know, and I was excited about it. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and the mommy wine drinking culture oh, yeah. is, is big. That's interesting. But, you know... Accepting alcohol is like a way to get through the day raising mm -hmm. children. You, know? you deserve it. You deserve yeah. it. You need it. And, and yeah. like, it's very normalized. Yeah, this mug it's is actually full is... of wine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's yeah. Not actually coffee. Yeah, it's a whole industry built on it. It's a whole industry. Right. Yeah. Wine culture, uh, like in the mother context, is like Beer I've, I've seen it emerge over the last few months. Is uh, started, it's like, the question. Well, the question. Okay. I just okay. what's interesting is I just saw in the last few months start to pop up with question marks around it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like and that's when I started to think this? of like you know as we normalize these types. For the most of the people, it's going to work fine. Yeah, but for the but alcoholic, for some it's or even not necessarily the alcoholic, or even just like the really struggling mom that like ultimately like gets a little bit of postpartum and yeah. like, like it can really just it can normalize things. Because what we see is like whether it be any kind of like, like once things start to get normalized around substances, which can be like to some extent, I would argue, you know, a little bit healthy for them not to be so taboo, right? Like in your context, growing up in the religious sphere, their taboo nature made them made them almost more harmful than yeah. at times. To oh, absolutely. Yeah, so like absolutely. for for some things not to be so taboo is like good, but then if we normalize it to such a big extent that otherwise unhealthy, that unhealthy behaviors don't contrast as unhealthy, that then yeah. they don't emerge as unhealthy. That's what we see in Alaska, and you'll see in other blue-collar industries in other states as well. 
there's this really hardcore like work hard play hard mentality yes like in the oil yeah. field or in the or in the commercial fishing life or even what, white collar no right anytime that work hard play hard kind of like ethos emerges it can really normalize and hide otherwise like really damaging behaviors oh absolutely and it can yeah. keep the addict in the dark it can mm-hmm. keep the addict in the dark and it can keep feeding their behavior it oh, keeps feeding it yeah you know yeah. um and for me that was <laughs> kind of did oh for sure yeah but there's only so many times where you're not even finding you blacked out on the floor mm-hmm. for it to be like you know mm-hmm. that's not normal and it's and, not working for your partner. And it's not working and you for your start, partner. And everything's starting to get complex. And everything's was, starting. Was like, yeah. This doesn't work for Danielle. Right. Or, or, I was able to does. hide it just or, because I was just living by myself. Or it you did. Know? You know, yeah. well, yeah. it doesn't work for other people, but it works for Danielle. And I, only Danielle really answers to Danielle right now. Right. But yeah. now you're kind of like, man. Now I had a family. I got other people and, that I answer and to. A, a husband. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until. After an episode of a you know blackout episode, the next morning, um, he didn't have any knowledge of you know he wasn't didn't know any alcoholics and didn't know how to recognize that, um, and so he had just kind of felt like this is out of my territory. I don't really know how to handle this, but um, it was. It was seeing him be a little scared. Be scared, mm-hmm. and you know, um, and of course, it's really emotional. You know, it's an emotional thing to see how your behavior is affecting the people that you care about the most. Mm-hmm. And for me, I thought that I was never gonna get married, and like I could never convince somebody to marry me because I'm such a wreck you know Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um there was so much for me that I was learning or not learning or I just felt so behind and caught up in all of my failings as a Mm -hmm. person that like you know I was I didn't getting married and having kids was like way I out of my yeah, I just yeah, didn't think that. One, you didn't or, have five-year plan. Yeah, I didn't but have five-year plan. Yeah, and right. you know, like, yeah, just, and I think too, coming from the church, like, I was undesirable. Mm, you know, I yeah. was undesirable as a as a partner. Um, and so, anyways, um, but it was that conversation that I had with my uh with my husband where he was like you know i love you and i I, this scares me to see you this way and i want you what we have together is 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 so important to me um and you danielle are so important to me and that um made a difference for me in the sense that like I felt valuable and for so long I had felt not valuable Mm -hmm. because all I could see was (laughs) this massive thing that was wrong with me you know yeah um well then I was mortified because now he knows that I'm an alcoholic 
you know, and if I admit that I'm an alcoholic, that, like, to me, that admittance meant so much, like, it carried such a heavy weight, you know, because an alcoholic to me looked so, like, you know, yeah, like, washed up, and that I was getting... Stigmatic stereotype of an alcoholic. Of an alcoholic, like, I was just going to be smoking cigarettes in AA, I had never been to an AA in my life. I had just, you know, I was just making assumptions. So I, that was, now I, now I was responsible, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, because, and that's the thing, you know, if you say like, yeah, I got a problem and it's probably something, like the, what you come around to, Mm -hmm. it may mean a lifetime off limits. Yeah. And that's hard. And that was really difficult to accept right off the bat like I couldn't see my life without alcohol in forever. it mm-hmm. forever like that was just just like a crazy that was maybe I for went, a month yeah but like forever but um I and a few a few instances happened where I was um some people that I had connected with um because again try to jump back here we um, went from Oregon to Homer, Alaska, and so um, we were in a new place. I was in this new, you know, I had a new family I, and in a new place, and my husband was finishing, well, his dissertation was finished, but he was trying to publish it, and he was starting a new job, and so, like, there were a lot of like so he's stressed so there's a lot of stress in our life oh and i was trying and then i was planning a wedding you know so like i had a newborn baby i was planning a wedding we had just moved here he's in a new job and he's finished so there was like um so there was a lot of stuff going on which didn't help my alcoholism at all um and once I once I had oh yeah once I had to admit that I was an alcoholic then now I was responsible for what I was going to do with that mm-hmm. and um, I will never forget what he said what my husband said to me was um, which like was a game changer um, he said Danielle you're just an alcoholic like we're it's not like we're in Aleppo right now bombs being dropped on us and our very existence being questioned every single day like there is something you can do about your alcoholism and for me I was like to have it put so succinctly by somebody who I loved and cared for instead of making me feel guilty and shameful about it he was like oh well, that's fine, you know? Mm -hmm. And for me, I was, to me, I felt like once I admitted that I was an alcoholic, that that people would not want to be a part of me then, you know, like I was going to, it was going to, again, add to my undesirableness, you know? So anyways, um, I, um, that's when AA became an option for me I had run into some people, I had made some, some relationships here in Homer, and I think this is, you know, pretty, it's, it took some boldness on their part to call my alcoholic, like, you know, 
um, I was at this women's gathering and I had, uh, no, I actually, I had gone to church drunk and, um, and a lady smelled, Pretty early. <laughs> yeah, I know, this is the sign of a true alcoholic, <laughs> and, but a lady, um, like, gave me a hug and, and smell alcohol on my breath, um, and it wasn't until later in the week that she confronted me about it, and she had known about what was going on in my life, like, you know, all of the new things I was in, experiencing in my life. Um, and she asked me, so how are you coping? You know, like leading into. <laughs> to like this? Giving me, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the opportunity to be like, well, I'm drinking a lot. And I tried it to like skirt around the answer. And she just came right out and said, well, Danielle, I, you know, I couldn't help but smell the alcohol in your breath the other day at church. And so, um, if you want to talk about that, then let's talk about it. And I was like, oh, you know, so embarrassed and like, oh my gosh, now I can't keep it a secret anymore. Mm -hmm. Like people are catching on. This is your nightmare. This is my nightmare coming to truth, you know, like, mm -hmm. and here I was thinking, I don't know, I don't want to do it. So um, it kind of was glaring me in the face. Mm -hmm. And um, she put me in touch, though, with, um, also like, my first sponsor relationship. Mm -hmm. And this lady was the first person I met, um, the lady that she put me in touch with, uh, who I saw, who was an alcoholic, who was a badass. And I was like, it flipped the narrative for me to where I was like oh you can be an alcoholic and still be cool mm -hmm. and still live a life worth li have a life worth living without mm -hmm. alcohol in it mm -hmm. and um that was like the first glimpse of hope to me so i went to a couple of meetings and i don't know what happened if it was just the combination of those things that finally something made sense to me and i was like oh i'm an alcoholic and that it's not my fault how i got here or why i'm an alcoholic you know and i felt like that shame and the guilt that had been weighing me down for so long that was piled on by my inability to perform to like you know just got lifted and then I was like yeah I'm an alcoholic and I don't care who knows it because I don't feel that shame anymore about being this way and that it's not something that I just keep failing to do it's for whatever reason whether it be nature or nurture I am this way now and this way now means that I can't touch alcohol. And I, like, I don't know why that was such, it just made sense to me inside. Um, and it has allowed me not to even be really tempted by alcohol anymore. Like, I just have made a life that is so 
good to me now yeah. by being sober. Like, and I always thought that by giving up alcohol that I was missing out on something. Mm -hmm. That for the rest of my life I was just just gonna be a party pooper, or I just wouldn't be like I don't know. Just that the sober life would not be appealing to me in any way. But now my life is so full and so rewarding that I do not have any sense of feeling left out or that I'm missing out on something. You know, I don't have a hangover ever. I don't miss those. Um, <laughs> you right. know, like I have more money in my bank mm -hmm. account. I finally have a credit score that I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. I have two children that I am proud to be their mom and be present for, you know, like all of my wildest dreams are coming true because I've been able to be sober, you know, and I feel like that's the biggest, I don't know, I don't know, it's, it's crazy to me, it's crazy to me to see how far my life has come, I'm going to be three years sober at the end of January, what has happened from the day I decided not to pick up alcohol anymore to where I am now, I'm like, I'm a completely different person. Like, mm -hmm. you know, my I feel bad for my husband because he's been a constant, you know, he hasn't changed yeah. one bit, yeah. a bit yeah. but yeah. I've been on this, like, uh, keep, growth. Yeah, keep, growing. keep, like, you know, rediscovering myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, you know, in all, the, in all good ways. So it's just now I am happy to share about this part of myself that I was so ashamed of for so long. Now I just feel like I want people to know that you don't have to stay that way, that it's not something to be ashamed. Like, you know, you're not in control of how your body processes things, um, but you do have some control about what you put into your body and that, you know, there is a way out there's a way out mm -hmm. and that it's so worth it. Mm -hmm. You know, that alcohol doesn't give you anything. It doesn't, it only ever is to the alcoholic. It only ever takes away from you. It only ever robs you. Um, and that's true. Of yeah. Any yeah. substance that you're addicted to, you know, it's like, it only takes away your control, your ambition, your drive, your passion like any kind of peace of mind any yeah. kind of peace of mind you know um and all of those things i've gained since giving up um and deciding to you know be sober mm -hmm. um and i went you know i went to a for the first probably year pretty regularly but i don't go consistently anymore or regularly, I should say. Um, but that's not because it's just a decision that I I've been able to do my life without. Um, I think for me it's hard because of the issue that I've had with programs before. It's hard for me to feel locked in, you know, and that um, that I need to do this. Or I'm not going to be sober, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and for me, it's been, it is helpful, and it was extremely helpful for me in the beginning to find a community of people who 
we all share the basic same story, you know, yeah. and to find acceptance in how tragic your stories can be, you yeah. know, like it is tragic. It's, it's, I see this a lot in a lot of our stories, you know, it's a lot of these things come full circle. Yeah. And it is, it's, and a lot of it in the same way, you know what I mean? When you are seeking substance, you find that you seek out the people who are using. Right. And then you get into sobriety and you seek out people who are sober. And it's this full come, this full circle of acceptance that you've been looking for for forever. For forever. That like, and then you get into like that nature versus nurture, the biological pieces. Like, I found it in something I really like right here. And plus I'm biologically prone to really loving it anyway. Yeah. So now it's really getting into it. Yeah. And then you find this acceptance too, that's like, more of a choice because like you're not biologically like right to it you know you're necessarily magnetized yeah so it's just like super freeing choice that like man i'm choosing to hang out with people who are sober and who are sober yeah and i think a big part about aa and why it is really important is um not forgetting that you're an alcoholic right because and that was a case for me for that one year of sobriety thinking like oh now i can go out and drink and be fine mm-hmm. um which is a common thing you hear no, in no. people who re- relapse mm-hmm. is i've done five years sober i'm a different person now i can handle it now you know because look how look at me now you know i've grown i've grown or this thing just doesn't affect me right because your life is so good Mm -hmm. because you have it now you're in a place now you're in a place where you can control it yeah Yeah. um so aa is good to keep reminding yourself like you know no no matter how long my sobriety is my body is still always going to have this reaction to it you Mm -hmm. know it's it's not that i you don't set out to not get drunk, you know, and um, it's not without trying, but it's a uh, once you put that in, it's hard to like, all roads lead. Yeah, all roads. Yeah. And so it's just um, this is my stop. So that's no, why, not. yeah, <laughs> right, right. Mm-hmm. That's why I I think in sharing my story, it and the more people I know that know that I'm alco- alcoholic, it keeps me sober, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I yep. can't fool anybody. Yeah. Um, all I mean, my friends yeah, know that I mean, I'm if someone alcoholic, sees you're drinking, they're they know that they're be concerned. Yeah, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And so, I... And it doesn't bother, you know, it doesn't bother me anymore. And in fact, I, I remember being in one of my first AA meetings, and a lady who had had, you know, years of sobriety on me, and she and here I am bawling my eyeballs out, yeah. right? Because I'm just like so ashamed to have gone this far down that I'm in AA, you know. Um, and she looked at me and she said, "One day you will be thankful you're an alcoholic." And I remember being like, Ugh. "Are you still drunk?" <laughs> yeah, I'm like, what? How could anybody ever be thankful that they're messed up in this way, you know? But now, being where I am now, I'm like, oh, yeah, I am so glad. And it's because of I've been able to get sober that I can say, absolutely, I am glad because I'm a stronger person. I have more empathy. I know how to um, 
I just know myself better, mm-hmm. and and I feel like um, coming out of it has given me something to be proud of too. You know, I I rediscovered my love for running. That gives me my dignity back. Having something that um, something that wasn't robbed. Something, like something that wasn't that... robbed, and it and something that makes where alcohol made me weak. You know, like running has made me. Strong stronger mm-hmm. um and i'm proud of that mm-hmm. you know and i'm proud of that and it gives me the feelings of you know that i work things out in my runs and mm-hmm. i feel better and um you know working hard towards something and and seeing the, the benefit of that so anyways um i think uh i think one of the big things you shared that's that's really uh we haven't really talked about it in past podcasts, but it is, uh, there are some times like during when we're recording where things really, one certain thing or another really emerges like, ah, like that's something that we see a lot. Like, like this is a theme, you know, like, and, uh, you know, some out of the podcasts that we've done thus far, like, you know, some that have emerged like, man, like this is like the work hard, play hard culture, like hides things like time you know but for you and i think what other people in substance whether it be alcohol or other drugs you know um uh one of those ideas is uh one of the common feelings very common feelings common fears is can I be an alcoholic and be cool? You know, so yeah. like, because we, oh, totally. we all want to be cool, you know, even yeah. people that are like, I don't care to be cool. Like everybody, like, it's also probably, it's kind of, we're hardwired to want to be included, you know, mm-hmm. and, included and, and usually being cool true yeah. is, is what, I mean, that's just another way to kind of say, like, you're probably worthy of being accepted, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, you know. Um, and that is a legitimate fear, you know, that we've created, whether it be like kind of from like that mark of disgrace that society has come yeah. around to put on the alcoholic, to put on the addict, like whatever, like there's probably a number of factors that create this, like this belief and common fear that like, I can't be an alcoholic and be cool. I can't be an addict and be cool. But this is the thing when we think about like, and I think it's part of it, and this kind of sounds a little nerdy, but I'll just go with it. I think it's part of kind of the language that we use, and this is what I mean. When you were a drunk alcoholic, you were an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Today, when we talk about you, and when prof- mental health professionals, or when any other, like, whatever the spectrum of people you want to talk about, when they talk about you, you're an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. So our language creates this poor distinction between drunk alcoholic danielle that can't meet her obligations to any extent and is like literally endangering lives to the point where she's getting duis and then spending time in jail and can't keep a job and all these other things that are like man danielle needs help and frankly danielle's not that cool right now yeah right right danielle's hurting she's a human being she needs help she's worthy of respect but man she's not that cool right now yeah but then today danielle has kids she's got a husband she's got a life that she loves yeah. She's working toward different goals. She meets her obligations. Like when she says she's going to do something, she generally does it. Like Danielle is X, Y, Z, all of which make Danielle cool. Yeah. But Danielle not cool is how we talk about her as an alcoholic. And yeah. today, how we talk about her as an alcoholic. So when society pictures the alcoholic, they don't get they don't get they don't the, see the, the, the other distinction. side of it. Yeah. 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 And so it's it's like it's that we have we don't have any way that we that we in our common 
verbiage yeah break break any distinction you know what i'm saying and, and that's so i think that's what a has problem. fueled my passion to know for people to know that i'm an alcoholic um to break that stigma mm-hmm. of what an alcoholic looks like mm-hmm. you know yeah um because that again kept me drinking yeah mm-hmm. you know it kept because it's shame based mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. thinking that i am not cool because i don't measure up to these cool standards mm-hmm. um and so i'm just gonna keep feeding this inside you know i'm gonna keep drinking because you know mm-hmm. i just i can't do the cool things and yeah. I, and that again you know like I always desired to, I always looked at these endurance athletes, you know, I thought that was so cool, but I, it can never be me, right? Because I can't do any of those things because alcohol has stolen all of my ambition, mm-hmm. you know, but like you take alcohol away and I've discovered like, oh, I am that person, mm-hmm. you know, like those things are me, but it was alcohol always got in the way of Mm-hmm. Of what drove me as a person, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's like our our belief that we take on as people is that, like, it's actually it is really polar opposite of reality. It's like, you know, if you continue drinking, like, legitimately, you're probably not really ever gonna be that cool. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. one, you're gonna be pretty miserable a lot of the time with your own guilt, your own shame, your own inability. Yeah. Because as 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 people. Like what we see with people in addiction who go through that is is they let themselves down a lot you know oh you can't trust yourself anymore because you're going to no. quit tomorrow yeah. you're going to get mm-hmm. cleaned up tomorrow and eventually yeah. you're just like man i can't trust myself yeah. at all yeah. like i you know what i'm saying and so like we have this idea that like man if you can't like, like if you're an alcoholic you're not cool but like really if you continue to if you're an alcoholic that continues to drink yeah you're just you're probably not going to ever really live up to your idea of being cool yeah but if you're an alcoholic that doesn't drink if you're in recovery if you're sober yeah i think we need to find i think like that would be you know like if i'm like sitting in if i'm sitting in some place thinking like how do i change the narrative around addiction i think the first thing one of the first thing i do is we got to change a narrative like a public relations type of standpoint if i have Mm -hmm. a bunch of funding or whatever we're gonna do some big campaign i'm like there's got we got to come up with some kind of word or some kind of way to break to distinguish between the not cool alcoholic that's <laughs> drunk all the time yeah. and never fulfills any obligation in any way and I can't trust him with my phone yeah. or her for five minutes because they're gonna steal it yeah or the like alcoholic that's clean and sober and like even if that he or she or they relapse like yeah like they are still like can get back and live a fulfilled life yeah and i think that 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 fear of i remember this in the program especially um that fear of relapse mm-hmm. like oh that would just be the end all you know like if you ever picked up alcohol again then like just sign yourself off because you know relapse and that word relapse is just so dangerous you know scary word it's a scary word and in to an addict relapse can be a matter of life or death and often is a matter of life 
that. So it's not something to like right. not say with some brevity, but like um, it it doesn't always happen mm-hmm. in that way. Mm-hmm. And the reality is, is like relapse is a part of it can be a yeah. part of recovery. Yeah, and that. You know, for me, technically, I relapsed so many times before it, you know, before I reached where I am now, a three-year span of Mm -hmm. sobriety with, you know, no intention of ever picking up alcohol again. Um, But it took many relapses to get there, Mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And now, you know, when I went back... um, back to work in the service industry uh you know at first i was a little apprehensive because you know that's what fueled a lot of my problem in the beginning but um where i am now is like you know part of my job is serving and pouring up alcohol I always thought it would be cool to be a sober bartender because mm-hmm. that's just su- such a conscious it's edgy. Dream right? it's edgy. It's edgy. Yeah. But yeah. here I am, and it's like, that's what I am. Yeah. Um, and I am not ashamed to tell people, you know, like, I actually don't drink anymore, um, but I'm happy to pour <laughs> you another, you know, right, right. because By the way, I've accepted. 15% boss. Yeah. 20%, right? Okay. Is that the tip? Oh yeah, exactly. Twenty yeah, percent is standard. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> we hope for twenty percent. Okay. <laughs> um, but you know, like that, I think that acceptance piece for me, you know, I just know that it's just off limits, mm-hmm. and it doesn't scare me away. Um, uh, so that for me is part of taking back the idea that we that our culture has around alcoholics, mm-hmm. you know. And since, I hate to say like achieving sobriety, but you know, since becoming sober and now um, living a sober life, it has um, opened up some doors for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely, um, it's given me my brain back and my will back so I can actually think straight for two seconds. Mm -hmm. And my plan is now to where I had always wanted to be a nurse and I had always, you know, I had gotten involved in the um, medical field and mm-hmm. was really excited about that. But again, my alcoholism kind of sidelined all of my intentions to further my education in that area. Yeah. Um, but now I'm finally at a point where um, I can concentrate um, despite having two children. Um, but where, you know, I can actually now continue down that road. And uh, I'm excited about, uh, I'll be applying for the nursing program here in Homer. And I'm excited to bring my knowledge of addiction to hopefully the medical field. And, you know, I kind of entertain thoughts of maybe something in addiction or psych or something just because I have so much experience in that but mainly you know I want people to feel like their story is valid and their struggle is valid and there is um you're not alone in your misery and in your suffering you know because there is a tremendous amount of suffering that 
goes with yeah. being an addict. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. um, whatever addiction you have. Um, and, you know, it can, it leads you down a very dark, dark, dark road. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, I think part of being sober is sharing my story and a responsibility that I have as a sober person um, to share that light, you know, that mm-hmm. there's hope. And believe me, I've been in some pretty dark places. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be where I am now, you know, having literally my wildest dreams come true, um, it's it's so exciting. And I and I want people to know that that can be true for them as well. You know, that it's never too late that um you're worth it you know that your dreams and ambitions and your desires are totally worth being sober for Mm -hmm. Um, and that the the world is literally your oyster oyster it is i was like oh my god (laughs) it is your oyster because i just i see so clearly what being sober has done for me and it's only given me every opportunity and you know like people don't care that you don't drink yeah yeah not that much people don't care as much as you think no no actually people just don't really care that much about you yeah they don't care you know you think that people are concentrating on you but they're yeah they're not yeah they're just not wearing their people don't yeah there's gonna be a few i mean there's gonna be a few times where people like man you sure you don't want to drink you sure you don't want to like come on like some special occasion of but like for the most part like the people that are really egging that on like they might want to consider like what's going on yeah yeah what's driving them is that worth yeah is it really you is it you yeah. and you know what yeah. like it's that could be either anybody else they'd be asking the same question yeah. yeah and i feel like sobriety especially i feel like now is becoming more of like becoming kind of hip it's yeah. becoming yeah. hip and it's good that's my intent mm-hmm. as a sober person now is making it not so not cool <laughs> you know mm-hmm. <laughs> Because I legitimately think I'm cool now, you know? but it's <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I got yeah. my shit together, <laughs> totally, and totally. you know, like, yeah. uh, my kids probably don't think I'm cool, but you know, like, yeah. I just, I don't know. Yeah, no, I've had a, because you know, I'll go to, to law school next year, and I've had some, you know, it's a lot of it's based on the fact that this idea is because it's true like a lot of like there's some pretty big like substance use among like the profession of like lawyers oh yeah you know? again like, that's kind of a problem work hard, right. play hard right you know? and that's you know that's off limits to me you know yeah. i mean i just know like i know that that's not something that will be for me you know yeah. you know and yeah. so i've thought like you know kind of like those you know i think we all kind of do it like man am i going to be the party pooper am i yeah. going to be not like no actually your friends will like you more because now you're available to be the the dd or right, the person right. who's actually thinking things yeah, yeah. <laughs> the safety blanket the, right. safety yeah. bl- the buffer <laughs> this is but i think this is like kind of like the raw truth of it was like you know, I thought about it and I just thought like, you know, if I was there and somebody was really like cornering me on it, like, and now I just want to be like, dude, 
like screw off, you know, yeah. on the one hand. But then on the other hand, kind of like like looking like I'm at this school that like five years ago, like I would have never dreamed of attending, you know. Right. And I'm just like, and I'm like, just if I was being like super honest with this person, according to me, look, dude, like, like right. you think I'm not cool right now? Like, like you want me to go down this road? I'm yeah. going to be really not cool in three months from now. I mean, yeah. really not cool. I'm what I say to people when they ask me like, oh, why don't you don't drink? And it's like, because I wouldn't stop. That's yeah. why. That's why, you know, like, and, and make a joke out of it. Like right. make light. Right. Again, to hopefully counteract the stigma. But right. like, Oh, you know, yeah. when somebody's asking, yeah, why don't you, you know, why aren't you partaking? And it's like, because I've partied hard and I'm done with that. Yeah, you know, like, yeah. I'm, I'm done and, and I would probably drink you on the table and then not wake up. Right, <laughs> so no. that's why, yeah. you know. It's like, it's like I'd it probably drink you on the table for the next four or five days. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be cool, like. Today, it may Today be cool it might be oh, awesome, man, like a but week, two weeks, three weeks. Eventually, it's just gonna me, not. It's gonna really not be cool. No, you know? Yeah, it it makes you uncool. Yeah, yeah. Like I get to be pretty cool right now. Like mm-hmm. I'm at one of the best yeah. law schools in the world. Yeah. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. But trust me, dude. Like if I do this, it's yeah. gonna be pretty uncool pretty soon. You pretty know? soon. Yeah. 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 And I think that's like that's another thing too is like like we get to. Be we pretty cool. We get to be who we want to be, right? Yeah. Because we're not. This thing isn't stealing from me yeah. anymore. Completely you know, like, wrong. and I think that was like, oh, I felt unshackled. You know, yeah. like yeah. all of a sudden, the yeah, like the sky's the limit now yeah. that I don't have yeah. this holding. The last back layer of your stifled. Yeah, and you know, but like you can choose to shackle yourself back up. Mm-hmm. You know, um to tie, you know, to put the handcuffs back on, but, um, you know, and I think, I think, too, a key thing is making your life worth it, you know, like, yeah, put, you know, have make, something to lose, have something to lose, that's what I've told Aaron, I said, mm-hmm. dude, at this point, like, there's just too much on yeah. the table. Yeah, and like, for me, it's, it's only getting, it's only getting more, more and more expensive, more, yeah, yeah. Like, there's more to lose every three months every three months yeah Yeah. and and i think that you know they always say too you know you have to just be get sober for yourself because if you don't do it for you know if you do it for other people then it's not going to last you know and for in my experience it was getting sober for my husband and getting sober for my son that was like the catalyst for me yeah, to get sober for myself. Your, yeah, 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 to yeah. actually, you know, like that was the, I needed that. Um, and then I was able to, then I found that being sober was actually like awesome. Yeah. Um, where then I started like, now I, I, I do stay sober for me and it's the best thing, the best gift I've ever given myself was sobriety. And and I stay sober for myself because now I see that my life is totally worth it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that um, and that my kids are worth it and that my husband's worth it, you know, um, because I made myself worthy, you know, like I am worth it, um, and so, anyways, yeah. On that note, um, if you're listening and you you need help or you know anybody else that needs help, you can, and you're on the Kenai Peninsula, you can Google 
Serenity House and get in touch with their intake office, and uh, and you can be pointed to some direction of of finding a, a place to to get sober. There uh, there's options for for detox as well if that's something that's painful, quite literally and scary. Uh, there can be there's pretty much a roadmap from point completely lost to to cool and like life worth living. So. Um, I think we've heard a story of, you know, being, being pretty lost and pretty, pretty broken to like, just running into, quite literally running to all the great possibilities <laughs> yeah. that life can offer, you know, yeah. so thanks so much, Danielle, for, for sharing your story. Well, so thanks thank for you. having me and thanks for giving me the platform to get my story out there, a message of hope. This was your knock on the keynote.